0: Uh, psalm seventy-eight is—it's a really interesting psalm. It gives—it uh, kind of retraces some highlights in the history uh, of the Israelites uh, through Egypt, coming out of Egypt uh, into the Promised Land, difficulties, uh, sin problems uh, that the people faced, and it would seem uh, to be the case that um, it's a long psalm. When you, by the time you get down to about Psalm. Well, we're in Psalm 78. By the time you get down to about verse 56, it seems to, to be, it pretty clearly seems to be alluding to our first Samuel passage that we'll see here tonight. It provides just a little bit more uh, historical context for the first Samuel passage uh, that we're going to see here in a moment. Now, 1 uh, Samuel chapter 4, stay, stay here in, in, in Psalm 78, but 1 Samuel chapter 4 uh, Brother Art, it deals with consequences for sin. Some of that sin we'll see here in Psalm 78. Some of that sin we, we've seen here in, in the last chapter or two, right? Uh, we saw the sin of Eli's sons. Do you remember their names? Well, do you remember their names? Anyone have them? Uh, Hophni and Phinehas, Right. And Eli, of course, is taken to task by the Lord uh, through the man of God uh, for failure to deal with them uh, properly, and the Lord pronounced a curse upon Eli uh, and the sons. We'll we'll see that. We'll see that prophecy uh, being fulfilled here in chapter 4 tonight. It's uh, consequences of sin all throughout uh, this chapter. Zach, sin has consequences, doesn't it? it? It really does. Uh, but I want us to see first here in Psalm 78. It, it does it does give us a little bit more background uh, and historical context. It it shows God's goodness to the people throughout their history, uh, and it shows the people's response to God and His goodness not always being what it should be. You see that here, Psalm 78, verse 56. Are you there? Psalm 78, verse 56. It says, Yet they tempted and provoked uh, who? The Most High God, uh, and kept not his testimonies, uh, but turned back. They turned away from him and his words, and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. Uh, they were turned aside like a deceitful uh, bow. Uh, for they provoked him to anger, verse 58, with their high places, and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. And of course, that's false worship, right? That that's worship of idols. Verse fifty-nine: When the Lord heard this, heard this, He was wroth uh, and greatly abhorred Israel. That, that's a terrible verse, isn't it? Uh, God was angry at His people and greatly abhorred them. They they became disgusting in His sight because of their uh, false worship of idols and. Verse sixty, I believe, is something that we'll see in 1 Samuel four. The Bible says here, so that so here's consequence for their sin. Uh, he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh. Uh, the tabernacle is going to be moved from Shiloh ultimately to Jerusalem, uh, the tent which he placed among men. Verse sixty one says this, and uh, Lord delivered his strength into captivity. This would be an apparent reference to the Ark uh, being taken by the Philistines. Philistines, if you prefer, and his glory into the enemy's hand. We'll see that tonight also. Consequences for sin. Verse 62 says, he gave his people over also under the sword. Consequences for sin. They're going to be defeated in battle uh, by the Philistines and was wroth with his inheritance. He was angry. Verse 63, the fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Verse 64, the priests fell by the sword and their widows made no uh, lamentation. This would be an apparent reference to the, the death, the killing of Eli's sons, which was prophesied, right, back in chapter 2. Uh, that's going to happen. We'll see that here uh, in chapter 4 tonight. We'll look, two more verses here. Psalm 60, uh, Psalm verse 65, I mean, the Lord awaked uh, as one out of sleep, like a mighty man that shelt by reason of wine and smote his enemies in the hinder parts, uh, he put them to perpetual uh, reproach. Now, we're going to see the Lord deal with his people, judge them, and, and chasten them for their sin. I think verses 65 and 66 uh, refer instead, though, to the Philistines eventually being overthrown by the Lord. Uh, we'll see that a few chapters from now in First Samuel 7. Um, down in verse 67 and 68, you see here... Uh, the idea that the Lord, uh, again, as a consequence for sin, uh, moved the tabernacle from Shiloh ultimately to Jerusalem, made a couple stops along the way, but uh, the tribe uh, of Ephraim suffered the loss of kind of serving as the capital of the nation. That, that passed over to the tribe of Judah, verse 68, uh, tabernacle moved there. Eventually, the, te- the temple, of course, uh, was erected there. and. Um, that was a consequence of, of the sin of the people uh, prior to that. Maryland sin has consequences, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Uh, we'll say again tonight, uh, Brother Ray, praise God. That if we've come to Christ, our sins are under the blood. They've been covered. They've been removed as far as the east is from the west. But nonetheless, there can be consequences. Uh, there can be consequences uh, in the lives of God, P- God's people for sin. And boy, you see that here tonight in, in a very big way. Uh, these, these are people here, uh, the Israelites, they're evidently, they've fallen into great sin. Uh, we see that in our psalm that we've looked at. And Brother Art, there's no indication that they've repented when we come into First Samuel 4. And so God is gonna enter into their lives with some correction uh, to get their attention. Now, I'm gonna say this tonight. Uh, You might say it doesn't sound like a loving God that would correct the people the way they're going to be corrected here uh, in this chapter. Thousands of people are going to die, including Eli and his two sons. Some would say this just doesn't sound like a a loving God, but uh, a loving God will deal with his people who fall into sin, right? Uh, That loving God will not just let sin continue unchecked. Uh, We have a God who has a great wrath at sin, uh, and we have a God who loves us. He loves us too much to let us just continue in sin. Uh, and so we understand tonight he does enter into our lives with uh, chastening, with chastisement, with correction to encourage uh, repentance. This is the idea, I believe, that we see here uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 4 tonight. So go back there. If you're not there already, let's, let's turn over to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4. I'm going to stop there and pray. And then um, jump in here at First Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. Father, thank you tonight for uh, each one who's here. Thank you, Lord, tonight for your words. Uh, Father, I thank you tonight for each one who's come out. I pray you work in each of our hearts tonight. I pray you bless us all. Uh, Lord, I pray that tonight as we look into this um, difficult account, Lord, it is difficult, I pray that we would be reminded that this is the loving chastening of a mighty, holy God. Lord, that we would be reminded tonight of your sovereignty, uh, of your might, uh, Lord, of your holiness. And yes, Lord, the the fact that you do chasten your people as a loving father. Uh, You chasten us, you correct us because you love us and you do not desire that we would continue in sin. Lord, I understand tonight that the correct response to chastening is repentance, humble uh, confession and repentance, forsaking the sin, putting off the sin and putting on obedience to you in your strength. Lord, I understand tonight that's, that's the right response. And Lord, I pray tonight we'll think on these things, get a hold of this concept uh, here in this passage tonight. Lord, I love you. I thank you. pray that you'll work here now, Father, please, uh, in Jesus' name, uh, Amen. So we see here first in First Samuel chapter four verse 1. The Bible says, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So remember, God has called Samuel. We saw that last week, and uh, Samuel seems to be kind of stepping up into his place now that he knows the Lord. Uh, God has already used him uh, as a prophet. He's, he's reiterated the, the prophecy to Samuel. Uh, and, and God is just continuing, it would seem, uh, to use him, although we'll not hear from him for a bit. Uh, Samuel is kind of on the scene now, having been called from God. Uh, so again, the historical context is all the sin that we see alluded to back in Psalm 68, together with the sin of Eli and the two sons. Sin uh, is the background, and it's, it's against that backdrop uh, that we read the next part of verse 1. Now, Israel went out against the Philistines uh, to battle. Uh, there's conflict. It, it seems to be the case that God has once again allowed the Philistines to, uh, to exercise some, some rule over the people or, or to be a threat to them. Uh, remember, God, God has allowed this previously back in Judges, right? Right? Uh, I believe it was in Judges chapter 13 where you saw the, the Philistines kind of rise up and subject the Israelites for, Maryland. I believe it was 40 years if I recall correctly, uh, the people lived under the subjection of the Philistines until they finally repented uh, and, and God, God released them uh, from that uh, trial, that, that correction, uh, Something something similar is happening here. Uh, the, the the Philistines are oppressing or desiring to oppress the Israelites. And so uh, God's people go to battle against them. God, God's allowing this. Israel went out against the Philistines to battle uh, and pitched beside Ebenezer uh, and the Philistines pitched in, in Aphek. Well, it doesn't go particularly well. Verse 2, the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. They, they arrayed themselves in such a way as to attack and uh, to gain some advantage against the armies of Israel. Verse continues, when they joined battle, Israel was smitten uh, before the Philistines. That's not good, right? Uh, they, suffer, they suffer defeat here. It says, they, the Philistines, slew of the army in the field about how many? 4,000. That's a great defeat, but it's going to get worse. Uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Zach, does God know what it will take to cause a people to repent and get right with him? He does, right? Uh, you think about this tonight. If God knew that they there's something else that could have been accomplished to cause them to repent, you know, if one person being slayed or, or two or 10 or 20 or something else completely, uh, God, God knows what it would take to cause these people to get right with him. Um, well, immediately, he allows 4,000 of them uh, to be killed in battle uh, against their enemies, uh, the Philistines. So see their response. See their response. Verse 3 says, when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Understand, they, they saw, they understood that this is something that God allowed. They understood that God is sovereign. He's in control. He could have prevented this, right, Gary? God, God if he chose, uh, he, he could have prevented any of them from dying. He could have, he could have dealt with all of the Philistines, their army completely. could have given a, a complete victory that day. He did not. And, and so the people say, wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? They, they question, why is this? Uh, why is this? Someone said it's, it may be more than just questioning. Uh, if you look at different commentators, one, one man said, you know, I, I see it's a question, but it sounds a little bit more like a complaint, doesn't it? Uh, why would God allow us to suffer the loss of 4,000 men? It sounds a little bit more like a complaint. Remember, they're, they're, they're in all kinds of sin against God. Uh, that's why God has is, is allowed this. People are not walking closely with the Lord. Uh, it sounds a little bit like they're angry at God for allowing this and complaining uh, against Him. Zach, rather than complaining against God, rather than wondering why and complaining that God has allowed this, what would have been a better thing for them to do? Maybe to consider why. Yeah. And you know, maybe that's implied here. Maybe, I, maybe I'm being too harsh. Uh, maybe I'm assuming things uh, unfairly. I don't think so, but um, it would have been it would have been better for them to step back and take a deep breath and say, "Well, okay, why why would God chasten us so harshly? What's what's in our lives? What might be angering God? Uh, what sin is there in our lives that might be causing God uh, to allow this kind of correction in our lives?" And I've no doubt they knew very well what was going on. The psalmist says there was false worship going on, and that had been the case on and off all throughout the period of the judges. We know that, and so there's no reason to think that wasn't the case here. People would have known this. Um, they would have known this. Did you ever did you ever um, get angry at God about something when you, if you're being honest with yourself, you knew very well that it was you that was in the wrong? <laughs> you ever been there? You were angry at God but you knew that you were in a bad place because of something that you had done, some, some sinful thing uh, that you had done. I have no doubt these people know. They know what the deal is, but uh, they're pretending or they're, or they're just angry. Well, <laughs> they, they decide to get, um, Zach, what should they have become? They should have become repentant, right? They, they, should, have, they should have repented. They should have got on their knees and say, God, I, we think we know what our sin is. We're, we're pretty sure. Uh, but search our hearts. Try our hearts. Uh, give us grace to confess whatever it is. Uh, they should have got humble and repentant. Um, instead, they got religious. Instead, they got religious. Does This sound a little bit like um, our Philippians 3 message from Sunday. You know, Paul, Paul had talked about how religious he had been how great a, a Jewish believer he had been, Marilyn. And he said, listen, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jews. If, if being a religious Jew um, saved me, uh, whereas you know, faith was what was really going to save anyone, if, if, being just, if just being religious, if just being religious, uh, obedient to the outward things of uh, faith uh, would save someone, Paul said, hey, I, I would have been fine.'" But, of course, he wasn't because there was no faith in his Savior. Uh, these people should have said, God, search our hearts, convict us, and got repentant. Instead, they got religious. They were, they were looking for some outward symbol of their faith that they could place their faith in and gain some, gain some advantage here. Now, you remember the account. What would they do? They called for the ark to be fetched from Shiloh. They said, go get the ark. And, and bring it here to the battleground. Why would they do that, Gary? Well, I think they believe that if they brought the ark to the battleground, that that would somehow protect them, that that would uh, maybe invite God to come along with the ark, or that it would require God to come along and rescue them. If the ark was there, the Lord would have to be there, and the Lord would have to rescue them because... Isn't that where the Lord was there in the tabernacle? Wasn't, wasn't his the place of his special presence between the two cherubim above, above, the, above the ark, the mercy seat which covered the ark? And uh, they, they need to repent, but instead they're, they're just getting religious. Um, they said, let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, that when it cometh among us, uh, what, what does the next phrase say? When it come among us, what? What does it say? What does it say? It says, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Where's their faith right now, Brother Art? Is their faith in the Lord, or is it in this piece of furniture from the tabernacle? It looks like they're, they're simply getting religious and trusting in the sort of outward trappings of their, of their faith rather than in the God who is um, the God of all of this. Um, one man said they were trusting in the ark of God instead of the God of the ark. And I think that's exactly right. They're, they're, they're getting religious here thinking that's going to deliver them from uh, this difficult situation. What they need to do is get repentant Uh, and do some serious spiritual business with the Lord. Uh, Look at verse four. "'So the people sent to Shiloh, "'Hey, bring the ark, uh, bring the ark, uh, "'that they might bring from thence "'the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, "'which dwelleth between the cherubims. "'And the two sons of Eli,' here they are, "'Hophni and Phinehas, uh, "'were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted uh, with a great shout so that the earth rang again. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Um, would God normally have been present there above the Ark, above the mercy suite seat between the two cherubims? Is that, is that where he normally would have been? That is, it's where he normally would have been, right? So, you know, they're thinking, we bring the ark, God will come along with it. uh, Let me ask you this question also. Um, If the people went into the Holy of Holies on just any old day and grabbed the ark and took it out to the battlefield, what would have happened if the Lord was present there? What would have happened? They would have died. (laughs) They would have died. They forget that. (laughs) They forget that. I think it's pretty clear that uh, the Lord had withdrawn His, His presence, His glory from, uh, from Shiloh. We've seen that. We looked at that probability uh, last week already. They've probably gotten very sloppy in their ministering at the tabernacle already, maybe been in and out of there nothing bad happened. What's well, because God wasn't there. He had withdrawn His presence evidently uh, from that place. Uh, because of their sin. God wanted no part of it. He didn't want to be near these people. He he has one of the consequences of their sin evidently is that he's withdrawn his glory. He's withdrawn his presence. If this wasn't the case, the minute they went in there to grab the ark and drag God down to the battlefield, they would have been dead before they got back to the battlefield. Uh, And so uh, it's pretty clear that uh, the Lord is not in this. Uh, the Philistines heard the noise, verse 6, when, uh, when the Philistines heard the noise uh, of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? They understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. Somehow the Philistines understood this. They saw it maybe, maybe that's spies, I, I don't know, but they heard the shout of the people and somehow they knew uh, that the people had the ark. Now they're concerned about this. They're, they're concerned about this. Look at verse seven. The Philistines were afraid. Uh, they had heard, Brother Ray, they had heard some things about the Lord. Uh, they, they had heard some things about what happened back in uh, Egypt, for example. The Philistines were afraid, verse seven, for they said, God is come into the camp, or they thought so. They're, they got that ark, must be their God came along with them. And they said, woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing Heretofore, we've never never had to do battle with the God of the Hebrews before. And uh, here they have, they've drug him onto the battleground. Woe unto us, verse 8, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these, what? Mighty Mighty what? Gods. They didn't understand who the Lord was, brother Art. Uh, The Philistines worshipped multiple false gods. Dagon is one of them. Think if I remember correctly, Ashtaroth is one of them. They they were polytheistic. They, they worship multiple idols, multiple false gods. And so they imposed their, their own kind of false system onto their understanding of, of Judaism, and they, they, they understand that God is, the Lord is mighty gods. They don't understand who God is. Uh, he says, these are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues uh, in the wilderness. Remember, one of the reasons that God brought, rained down all those plagues and brought the people out of Egypt is so that people would hear, right? That the world would hear and know and understand some things about the Lord. Well, word got out. Sure enough, it did. Here, here's evidence of that. The Lord was glorified to that extent and that people had knew, even if they didn't understand who the Lord is, what His nature is, uh, he's one God, the only God. They, they knew something about the God uh, of the Hebrews, and, and they were afraid. They were, well, should be. They should be. But despite their fear, they, they encouraged themselves into battle. See verse 9, they, they say to themselves, Be strong, quit yourselves like men. Be men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants uh, under the Hebrews. Don't, don't end up uh, losing here uh, just because they, they dragged their God onto the battlefield. Be strong, get out there uh, as they... Um, Be not servants unto the Hebrews as they they have been unto you. Uh, Quit yourselves like men and fight. Get out there and fight. And that's exactly what they do. And the Israelites suffer an even greater defeat. Verse 10, the Philistines fought and Israel was what? What does it say? Smitten Smitten, and fled every man into his tent. They retreated uh, because it was a very great slaughter, verse 10, For there fell of Israel, how many? Uh, 30,000 footmen. Brother Art, I assume that's in addition to the 4,000 that have already died. So now they've suffered the loss of 34,000 men uh, in battle against the Philistines, evidently in just a very, very short period of time. Um, Zach, what should they have done at this point? should have got on their knees and started doing some business with God, right? Um, at this point, you know, one might have assumed, hey, maybe our, our religious idea of just having the ark would, would convey some advantage or some victory or require God to do anything. This, this religious idea maybe, maybe is not the thing. <laughs> just being religious is not going to be the thing. We need to really do some business with God uh, for real. We don't see that. We don't see that. Uh, instead, we see the Philistines in their victory taking the ark. You remember this. Uh, they take the ark. They kill uh, Hophni and Phinehas. Consequences of sin. All of this, consequences of sin. Correction, chastisement, judgment. Uh, don't miss. God didn't pour out all of this all at once. He's, he's given people opportunity to confess at different steps along the way here. But as they've refused to do what, what is right, uh, to repent, Zach, God dials up the temperature, He he turns up the correction, Uh, He turns up the chastisement. We jump from from 4,000 to 30,000. The ark is now taken, that's a problem. Uh, The ark of God was taken, verse 11, and um, the two sons of Eli, verse 11, Hophni and Phinehas were what? Now, the Lord said He would do that, the Lord had already prophesied uh, back in chapter 2, verse thirty-four that as a consequence of their sin, it was great sin, uh, they would die. They would die. The Lord had said, brother, that was going to happen, and that's what happened. If God says, you can count on it, right? Every time God says he's going to do something, you can see he either has done it or he will do it. Uh, here's, here's a great example of God's faithfulness and ability to do what he says he will do. Um, an Israelite, one of the men, a Benjamite, uh, decides to run back to Shiloh to give a report and uh, he'll encounter Eli here and Eli will receive the news and it doesn't go well. Uh, remember, there's a, there's a prophecy of judgment upon Eli also, right, for failing to do the right thing regarding his sons. Verse 12, they ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh same day uh, with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. That's that's a picture of what? What's that a picture of? Sorrow might imply repentance, at least for this one man. Well, that's a good thing. He's sorrowful. Uh, This this might imply repentance. This is is one of the ways that you might show sorrow, repentance. It might be implied here. That's a good thing uh, at this point. Verse 13, when he came, uh, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside along, along the way, watching Uh, for his heart trembled for the Ark of God. Eli was very concerned as the priest (laughs) uh, that the Ark was gone. Uh, And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. They were very concerned as well they should have been. They allowed the Ark to be removed from the Holy of Holies, and now it's been captured by uh, enemies. Verse 14, when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, "'What meaneth the noise of this tumult?' And the man came in hastily and told Eli, verse 15, now Eli was 98 years old, uh, 98. Um, his eyes were dim. What's that mean, Zach? His eyes were dim. Well, he's tired maybe with age, but we also know he had a, he had a vision problem also, right? Uh, so, Both are true. I believe both are true. Uh, he could not see next phrase says he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army and I fled today out of the army. And he, Eli said, what is there done, my son? Give me, give me the report, please. Verse 17, the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled. Our people have fled before the Philistines. And they hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And here's, here's the worst news. I mean, he, he, knew, he knew this news was coming. He had to. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. Imagine you're, you're Eli. This, this would be just you know, some of the worst news that you could ever receive. Uh, his two sons are gone, and the ark is gone. He's the priest of the tabernacle. Uh, The two sons are gone, and the ark is gone. Uh, It was profoundly upsetting to him, evidently. Uh, he, He falls over, he falls down. Verse 18, it came to pass when he made mention, when the messenger made mention of the ark of God, that he, Eli, fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his what? Neck break, and he died. That's fulfillment of prophecy, it's not good, it's it's judgment, it's judgment. Um, God is a God of wrath against sin and wrath against just a a stubborn refusal to get right with him and consequences are real. Uh, For he was an old man and heavy, that's interesting, Uh, he judged Israel 40 years. Uh, He was the priest but also had functioned as a judge. Uh, Samuel seems to function kind of that way also, at least for a time. Uh, here's Phineas' wife. So this would be Eli's next. We see Eli's daughter-in-law, right? His daughter-in-law. Uh, his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child. So uh, she was pregnant with Eli's grandson. She was near to be delivered, not, not too far away from her due date. When she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father in law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and prevailed for her pains uh, came upon her. It would seem that this was so upsetting to her that it put her into early labor, right? That's that's what it seems to be. And that's a I understand that's a that's a medically possible thing. That can happen. You'd be so upset that it caused you to to go into labor. Doctor Wade will ask you about that later, okay, but that's that's what we see here. I understand that can actually happen. Uh, verse 20, about the time about the time of what? her what? She's died also. So evidently she's going to die uh, here in, in this scene also. about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, "Fear not for thou so before, just before she dies. Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. okay. She answered not, and neither did she regard it. Uh, but she did name the child, uh, she named the child, verse 21, what'd she name him? Ichabod. Ichabod. Um, Ichabod Crane is how we know this name, right? If, if you don't know it from scripture, you know it from, what's uh, the tale of the Headless Horseman, right? That's a local story, right? It, right here in New York, right? Um, that name comes from here. Um, it means um, no glory or not glorious or something like that. No glory or not glorious. It literally means that. No glory or not glorious. Uh, it's kind of an unusual Hebrew construction, but that's the idea. That's the idea. It has this literal meaning. Now, remember these names that are given in Old Testament almost always mean something significant, right? And very often you see someone will be named uh, in the context of their name will have some meaning in the theological context of the account. She named the child Ichabod. Ichabod. Uh, this is not something you want to name your, your children, Zachary. This is not a good name. Uh, the glory is departed from Israel. What does Ichabod mean? Um, no glory, not, not glorious like that. Um, gloryless. Uh, literally no no glory or not glorious. Uh saying, the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken. We saw this back in our psalm, use the same language, right? Because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel uh, for the ark of God uh, is taken. Now, question for you. Um, was the glory of God departed before the ark was taken? I think we we made that point, right? Uh, She's obviously upset that her husband is dead, naturally. Uh, She's upset that her uh, father-in-law is dead, naturally. Uh, Her brother-in-law is dead. Naturally, this would be upsetting. Uh, She's probably heard that many others have died also, uh, this would be upsetting, but the thing that she, the thing that she memorializes more than anything else in the account and in the naming of her son, is the glory of God having been departed as a consequence of the ark being taken, rather than what sin. sin. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's caught up in this religious, religiousness, religious thinking as well. People out there in the battlefield said, "If we just get that thing, that piece of religious furniture, you know, if we take the communion table uh, outside, maybe the leaves will all fall in one place. Are we able to pick them up, eat? No, <laughs> that's not how it works, right? Uh, you don't, you don't take a piece of religious furniture and think that God, God will come with it, and that that requires God to do something. God's God." <laughs> Religion is very different from what? What would you compare it to, Zach? Being religious is, is different from being what? A relationship. Yeah. Being religious is very different than having a relationship with the Lord. Um, and trusting in religion for anything is very different than trusting in God for anything. It's different, right? Um, who do you trust in when you need something? Do you trust that, well, you know, I'm, I'm religious. I, I read my Bible and I go to church and, you know, I'm going to come next, next Wednesday night and we'll, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm, look at how religious I am. I go to church on Sunday, and you know, I watch the I watch the nine o'clock Sunday school. Look how religious I am. Well, you know, everything that I just said are good things, but but who are you really trust? What are you really trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself and what you do? Are you or are you trusting in the Lord that all of those things point to? Well, it needs to be the Lord, right? Lord, help us not to fall into this same error thinking that there's some religious things that we can do to garner your favor or some religious things we can do to be right with you. No, we could be right with God once we know Christ as our Savior. And when the Holy Spirit's convicting us of sin afterwards, we just get down on our knees and humbly uh, agree with God and, and uh, repent of the sin and ask the Lord for grace, just like we say so very often, for grace to uh, leave the sin behind and put on obedience in place of disobedience, uh, we find grace in that relationship, not in our religious stuff that we do. Now, I'm thankful that, um, you know, in our church, there's, there's not a lot of religious stuff, Right there's the Lord amen brother art we don't have a we don't have a lot of ritual uh, and religious stuff that that we do that people might be tempted to rely upon and there's a reason for that we don't we don't need that stuff we need the ordinances uh, we need the Bible we need prayer <laughs> we need uh, we need corporate worship uh, we need private worship private prayer these that's all we need uh, that's what we need and if we'll allow those things to draw us into a close relationship with the Lord and to uh, encourage us to stay right with the Lord, we'll, we'll do well. These folks are trusting in anything but the Lord himself, and it's distracting them from what they need to do. They need to get their relationship right. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to focus on our relationship with you rather than religious stuff technical theological term. Let's pray quickly. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you, Lord, tonight for the passage. Um, perhaps, uh, as, as we so often do, I, I've only scratched the surface tonight, but I think we've seen the themes tonight, Lord. We, we understand here tonight that um, you've shown us tonight that there is um, a tendency, um, a natural tendency, I believe, uh, to trust in our outward trappings of our faith, religious practices, more than a true relationship and a true reliance upon you. Lord, just as that ark uh, did not convey any advantage on the battlefield, uh, there's no religious practices or, or formality or traditions. Uh, that will give us any advantage in this world today. Lord, it's, it's you alone at work in our lives. Father, um, I pray tonight that we really get a hold of this idea. Uh, thank you that we saw this theme on Sunday in Philippians 3, and we see the very same idea here tonight in 1 Samuel 4. Lord, we need a, a right relationship with you more than anything else. I thank you tonight, Father. That's possible, but it's been made possible because of Christ. Also understand tonight, Lord, when there's sin in our lives, our, our walk with you, our relationship with you is, is affected. Of course, we understand we cannot lose our salvation, but we understand that, that uh, sin not dealt with affects our walk with you. Lord, there's no religious thing that'll make that right. There's simple, humble repentance, asking you for grace to put off the sin and to put on obedience. Lord, we ask you tonight for help to remember that, for grace to bear this idea in mind. And Lord, if there's something that you may be convicting uh, any of us of tonight, I pray even now tonight we'd be of a heart to simply say, Lord, I agree with you. That's sin and I, I need to put that off and, and to put on obedience in its place and i pray tonight lord you give me grace to do just that i yield to you tonight lord and and ask you for strength to obey you I'll give you a moment to pray and we'll close Lord, I thank you tonight for the peace that we find when we get right with you as believers. I thank you that uh, when we respond to your conviction, your chastening, that um, the conviction and the chastening is replaced with peace. Lord, that's that's a gracious, wonderful blessing. And I thank you for that tonight. Lord, I do love you tonight. Thank you for our church. pray that you would guide us in our prayer time tonight. Lord, help us to be yielded to you as we pray and focus on those things that you would have us to focus on tonight. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name.